Please turn together now in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. If you would like to follow along, 2 Kings 2. <clears throat> Tonight we pick up the story at verse 15 and read down through verse 25. If you were with us last week, we are re-entering the world of 1 and 2 Kings and looking at the life and ministry of the prophet Elisha. Last week we saw the change, the transition from Elijah to Elisha. As Elijah is taken up to heaven and the cloak is passed to Elisha, Elisha used that cloak to strike the Jordan and cross on dry land, um, as Elijah had done before. And that brings us then to verse 15, some of the early days of Elisha as uh, the new prophet of God in the place of Elijah. Please give your careful attention to the living and active word of God. Uh, 2 Kings 2, verse 15 to 25. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent, therefore, fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Let's stop and pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us words, give us ears to hear your word. We pray that we would not be like those who mock your word, and reject your word, 
Uh, We pray that we would be like those who receive your word and find life and healing. Uh, Father, your word is far greater than gold. It is sweeter than honey. It revives the soul. It warns us. It gives us life. It points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It reveals the gospel, the good news of salvation. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use your word in those ways in our hearts tonight. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our unique story tonight, our passage tonight, gives two vivid pictures of the power of God's word. And it also gives two very different responses, opposite responses and opposite outcomes to God's word and the ministry of God's word. On the one hand, God's word through Elisha brings life and blessing. It brings mercy and deliverance. But on the other hand, it brings judgment and shocking, curse, disaster. Uh, We see here in this passage early in Elisha's ministry how God would protect him and work in and through him to bring both good to those who received him and harm, justice, curse on those who rejected him. Uh, In these unique stories, we also get a glimpse really into the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Elisha foreshadowed Jesus. And Jesus also gives life and healing to those who humble themselves before him. But he also brings judgment on those who reject him. And so let's look look carefully at this sobering text, this unique text, these seemingly unrelated stories and learn together about God's word and seek to hear the message. And the message is this, God's word brings either blessing or curse, depending on how we receive it. If we receive it with faith, it brings blessing. If we reject it, God brings judgment and curse through his word. God's word brings blessing or curse, so do not reject it. Instead, people of God receive God's word, receive his son, In order to have life, trust his word and know the great blessing that it gives. Well, let's look at our text together and see the power of God's word uh, in three particular ways ministered by his prophet Elisha. And I want you to see first that God's word is true. God's word is true. And want us to see that in verses 15 through 18. At this point in the story, Elisha has just parted the Jordan and come back across. And the sons of the prophets see this and they recognize, as they say in verse 15, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And so they come to him. They're eager to greet him and they they bow before him in respect. They seem to know that he has been given the role of Elijah. God's given him Elijah's spirit, and they recognize that, and they respect him. But what they didn't see was Elijah ascend to heaven. And they're wondering, where is he? 
And so they suggest this search party. Let these 50 strong men go out and seek Elijah. Perhaps the Lord has taken him somewhere. And if you remember Elijah's life, uh, the Lord had taken him to various places, mountains and deep valleys. Uh, But perhaps he's died and, and they want to recover his body and give him a proper burial. It's not exactly clear why they want this search. But what is clear is Elisha's opinion on it. Uh, This is a waste of time. He says, you shall not send. Uh, There's no need for this search party. He knows they're not going to find Elijah. Elijah is in heaven. And as God's prophet, Elisha tells them, don't do it. It's pointless. Now, they respect Elisha at this point. They recognize Elijah's spirit on him, but he's new. And he's young, and they've not looked to him yet as God's prophet, as they had been looking to Elijah, and so they don't take his word, and they keep pestering him. Look at verse 17. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent, therefore, 50 men. Elisha knows that they're not going to find Elijah, Uh, But perhaps they need to see for themselves that he can be trusted. And so as he reaches the point of shame and embarrassment, as they keep badgering him with this request, he says, finally, send. Uh, Go ahead. Now, this is not weakness in Elisha. This is not him just catering to the crowd. Uh, It seems that that he's recognizing these men are going to have to learn to trust him. Uh, They're going to have to learn that he is the new prophet of the Lord. Uh, He doesn't want to be viewed as not caring about Elijah. And so he finally grants them permission to go. And so 50 men go out and look for three days. It's an extensive and thorough search. But of course they come up empty. Um, There's nothing to find, no one to find. Elijah is in heaven. And so they come back to Elisha and he says... Did I not say to you, do not go? Have you learned your lesson? This makes me think of a common scene that that might play out in many of our families. And maybe you can think of your own examples of this, but um, kids learning to trust the wisdom and word of their parents as they grow up. Uh, Maybe you can think of a child saying, Mom, Dad, can I try doing so-and-so? Can I try doing this And the parents say, no, you should not try that because you will get hurt. Uh, the child, while respecting the parents, keeps asking. And maybe they cite their good reasons for wanting to do this. Maybe they say, well, my friends are doing it. Or uh, if I get hurt, I won't get hurt that bad. Or I won't, I won't blame you. And so finally, mom and dad say, fine, go ahead. But, but I warned you, uh, knowing they might just have to learn the hard way. And so the child tries that, that activity, gets hurt, and mom and dad are right. And sometime after the tears are gone, the, the parents say, you need to trust us. We told you. We love you. We want what's best for you. Well, in many ways, this rather unremarkable story um, is very similar. And it shows early in Elisha's ministry that he was the prophet of God, and they could look to him and listen to him. His word 
could be trusted. His word was true. And brothers and sisters, this is an illustration for us, an encouragement for us to trust the word of God. God's word is true. Now, God is no longer using prophets like Elisha, but he has given us his word, his written word. His word that we are called to know and believe is true. That we are to trust even when we may not fully understand it or be unsure. This story shows us that we can have a level of respect and recognition for God's word, but not believe that it's true. Uh, Not trust it and, and base our lives and actions and decisions on it. We can be like these men and feel the need for a search party to verify God's word. But God's word is true. It verifies itself. It can and it must be trusted. And it brings life and blessing and healing to those who believe it. And we see that in our text. And I want you to see that second tonight. Let's consider second that God's word is life-giving. God's word is life-giving. His word gives life and blessing and healing. It is powerful and it brings wonderful change. Look again with me at verse 19. Now the men of the city, and they're still in Jericho, the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. The men of Jericho, recognizing Elisha is a prophet, they come to him with a need, a significant need. Uh, The situation of the city is pleasant. Um, It's not a bad place to live, but there is a big problem. Uh, The water source, the water is bad. And because the water is bad, the land is unfruitful. And water is life. If you don't have water, you cannot have flourishing Life. If your water is bad, that means bad things for the crops. The water there made growing on the land nearly impossible. It was a barren, unproductive place. Now remember where this is. Jericho. Kids, you likely know the name of that place. You might remember Jericho is the first place God overthrew in the promised land. That's where the walls came tumbling down. It's a place that had known God's judgment and curse. And after Jericho was defeated, Joshua gave a warning and said, Cursed be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city. And he went on and said, If you do rebuild it, it'll cost you to your firstborn and your youngest sons. Well, God's word was so ignored and despised at that time that not long before this, In 1 Kings 16, verse 34, we read that Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, according to the word of the Lord. Uh, This place was under God's curse. Uh, It was under his judgment, and it seems that that judgment and curse had extended to the water supply. But notice how Elisha responds when they come to him with this need. Uh, He doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Or there's no hope for you. 
Um, he doesn't say there's no getting out of this situation. There's no reversing God's judgment. No, listen to how he responds. Verse 20. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Uh, Elisha is going to do something about it. And he asks for salt and a new bowl. And we're not told why he asks for these. Except that often miracles are performed with outward acts and outward items. Uh, Not that they have any power. Uh, Some have suggested salt represents God's covenant or uh, perhaps purification or preservation. Uh, But nevertheless, the next part is most significant. Look what Elisha does next in verse 21 and following. Then he went on to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Elisha goes to the water source. He throws in the salt. And then he speaks as the messenger of God. He speaks the word of God. And God says through him, I have healed this water. Now death nor miscarriage will come from it. Now instead of bringing barrenness and unfruitfulness and death, the water will bring life. Uh, The water is healed miraculously according to the word of God, the power of God. The word of God spoken by Elisha. And to this day, Jericho is like an oasis in an arid region. Uh, It even grows citrus trees and banana trees. Now think about the immediate relief and blessing that came to this city by Elisha's ministry and the power of God's word. God's word brought life. It brought amazing change. It brought healing. It brought blessing where there had been curse. God shows mercy where there was judgment. And it seems as though the people of Jericho had humbled themselves before God and his word because Elisha was welcomed there and and sought out. And so, brothers and sisters, in this short story, do you see the blessing and the life and the healing that God gives through his word? God loves to bless those who deserve curse, those who are under his judgment because of his love for cursed sinners, those who deserve judgment and curse. God delights to show mercy, to show mercy through his life-giving word, through the ministry of his prophet. And he does so today through his written word, and he has done so today ultimately through his son, Jesus. And hundreds of years later, Jesus, the final ultimate prophet, also came to Jericho and brought healing and life. It was in Jericho where he met Zacchaeus and gave him salvation and said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It was just outside of Jericho in Matthew 20 where Jesus gave sight to two blind beggars. 
He came to heal the blind. He came to a world full of sinners under the curse. Cursed with death and unfruitfulness in order to give life and fruit and blessing. And friends, as you think about this, do you know the life that Jesus gives? Do you have the life that he gives? Do you know the blessing, the healing that comes through receiving and trusting the word of God? Remember Jesus' words in John 7, 37. That was our call to worship. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. God's word gives life. It brings healing. It brings blessing where there was curse. If we listen and believe and receive it with faith. If we put our trust in the one greater than Elisha, Jesus. Well, that's what God's word does so powerfully and miraculously for those who receive it. But for those who reject it and oppose it, it brings condemnation and curse. And I want us to consider that third. And here we see that God's word is unstoppable. Third tonight, God's word is is unstoppable. Those who seek to oppose it, who ridicule it, will not be able to stop it. But they will actually come under its judgment and curse. And we see that here in a very shocking and maybe even disturbing way. This is one of those stories in the the Old Testament that's kind of hidden and buried, but it, it wakes us up and it gets our attention. It seems violent and vindictive. Perhaps over the top and unnecessary, but if we look closely and consider it, especially with all of Scripture and the grace of God, it emerges as a poignant warning as well as a powerful picture of God's grace. Look again with me at verse 23. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, first of all, where this takes place is significant. Bethel, which means the house of God. But sadly, Bethel had, become, had come to be called Beth-Avon, house of wickedness. Remember, this is where Jeroboam set up the calf worship to turn the people's hearts away from true worship in Jerusalem. And if the young people there are any indication of the spiritual climate of that place, it seems that this place may have become a place where the true God and his word was not welcomed. Elisha is passing by and these boys come out of the city to mock him. And perhaps these likely young teenagers had learned to despise God's word and God's prophet from their fathers. And there's this gang of of over 42 of them, and they go out of their way to jeer at Elisha. And what they yell at him is this, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Now, what do they mean by this mockery? Are they telling Elisha to go up to heaven like Elijah had just done? 
That's the same word that's used, go up. If you're the new prophet, if you're so special, show us your power. Do something like Elijah did. Go up to heaven. But perhaps it may also be that they're just telling him to keep moving and to get lost. Verse 23 says, again, the same word, that he was going up on his way. He was passing by Bethel, and perhaps they're basically just saying, keep on going. You're not welcomed here. Get lost. Of course, they also mock his physical appearance, it seems, as well. Apparently, Elisha had little hair, and in a childish, condescending, and demeaning way, they mock him for that. Now, young people, kids, this is not the main point, but let this be a warning against going along with the crowd. And when the crowd is against the Lord and his word. Let this be a warning against peer pressure, doing and saying what everyone is doing because it's cool or funny, and you get some laughs out of it. Let it be a warning against mockery. It may seem funny to put others down. It might make you feel better about yourself, but it shows a very little view of God and a very little view of those he's made in his image. And honestly, adults need these warnings as well. Well, this was no minor joke to Elisha or to God. Why? Why was this so serious? Well, because to mock and to reject the messenger of God is really to mock and to reject God himself, the one who called and sent Elisha and spoke through him. It's really to to mock and reject God's word. And this is a grievous and serious offense. And so listen to verse 24. And he turned around and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. This is one of the more shocking and and scary verses in the Bible. It's bloody and gruesome. Elisha turns to these boys and curses them. And and notice he curses them in the name of the Lord. In the story before, we see God blessing where there was curse. But here we see his word bringing curse on those who reject him and reject his word who could have received blessing had they shown respect and welcomed God's word. And and notice again, Elisha does this in the name of the Lord. That's important. This is not personal vengeance. He's just offended and and hurt that they they called him baldhead. No, he's calling upon God to carry out justice. And if, if Elisha had been wrong and unjust, and vindictive in this curse, uh, the Lord would not have sent these bears. But the Lord responds to this with swift and severe judgment. He sends these two she-bears right out of the woods, these sows, uh, who are known to be especially fierce in, dis- in defending their young. Uh, but they come out and they wreak havoc. They tear 42 of the boys. And that word tear means means to cleave, to break open, to break through. 
uh, these boys are mauled. And, and the implication, I think, is, is clear. They're killed. Uh, full-grown bears can inflict fatal wounds in seconds. And they're fast. And this is what they do in this story. When these boys mock God's prophet, when they mock God's word, when they try to oppose him with their words, God shows that his word will advance. His word is unstoppable. His word carried by his man will not be thwarted. And God rises up in a striking and terrifying way to protect his man, his new prophet, Elisha. He rises up to protect the honor of his own name. And then Elisha is able to carry on and continue to retrace Elijah's steps to Carmel and then to Samaria. And lest this seem as just a severe, unjust punishment... I want you to know that God warned Israel long ago, long before this, of this very punishment if they disobeyed and wouldn't listen to him. Leviticus 26, verse 21 and following. This is one of those lists of the, the curses that God would bring for covenant breaking and covenant disobedience. Those verses say, then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you. Sevenfold for your sins, and I'll let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children, and destroy your livestock, and make you few in number. God is actually keeping his covenant. He's keeping his word. He had warned about this, and it's shocking, yes, and it should be. But it is as he warned. Rejecting his covenant, rejecting his word is serious and damning. And so God justly punishes such, such sin. This is also a statement, a very clear, loud statement and warning to those beyond Bethel, to all of Israel. This is the curse, this is the judgment that would befall all of Israel if they persisted in their unrepentance and rebellion, if they re persisted in rejecting God's word and following Baal. In fact, God said this in response to Israel as they continued to forget him and, and as they were lifted up in pride. He said this through Hosea, the prophet of Hosea 13, chapter 13, verse 4 and following. God said, so I am to them to Israel like a lion, like a leopard, I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast. What God did to these boys, he would do to all Israel. And sadly, Israel did not heed the warning. And God did bring severe judgment upon them. But this wasn't just a warning for Bethel or for Israel long ago. This is a warning for any today who reject or mock God's word, who scoff at it and say, I have no need of that. And this is a striking picture 
of the judgment that really all of us deserve. And we need to understand that by nature in our sins, we are right with this crowd of boys. Apart from a powerful work of God's grace in our hearts, we are there mocking the Lord, mocking his servants, rejecting his word, trying to oppose it. And yet it is unstoppable, and it is true, and it will bring judgment and curse upon all who persist in sin and rebellion and rejection of it. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31 says, The Lord will judge his people. Uh, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This shocking scene needs to be a warning to all of us tonight. Do not reject the word of God. Do not reject the messengers of God. This was a repeated problem for God's people in the Old Testament. And so 2 Chronicles 36 verse 15 really summarizes much of of the Old Testament. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, And scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of God rose against his people until there was no remedy. But friends, tonight there is a remedy. And that remedy is Jesus. And that remedy is the word of God given to us. But I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus, there's some striking similarities Jesus was also rejected like Elisha and so many of the other prophets. He was despised and rejected. And when he was bearing our sins to the cross, he was mocked. He was spit upon. They put a crown of thorns on him and and bowed before him and mocked him and struck him. And even as he was suffering and hanging on the cross, they mocked him more, not by saying, go up, but by saying, come down, come down. If you are the Christ, the Son of God, if you're the King of Israel, come down, save yourself, mocking him. But he would not and he did not because he was dying in order to save cursed sinners. He was taking the curse that they deserve, that you and I deserve in our place, And his own body was bloodied and being torn. But worse than that, he was tasting the full wrath of God for our sins. And brothers and sisters, the wrath of two bears is nothing to the wrath of the living and holy God. But in taking our curse... Jesus was securing our blessing. In taking our curse and dying for us, he was securing life for all who would put their faith in him, for all who would believe in him and who would receive him in his word. By his wounds we are healed. 
Verse 24 in this story is what you and I deserve in our sins. In our foolish rejection of God. In our mocking of his word as we would carry on with these youth apart from God's grace. But because of God's abounding grace, verse 24 is what Jesus took for you. If you trust in him, if you repent and receive him and receive his word. Brothers and sisters, this unique passage, these unique and striking stories from Elisha's early ministry give a glimpse of what would follow in his ministry. God would give blessing and life to those who received his word ministered through him, who put their trust in him, but he would curse and judge those who turned from him and rejected his word and his prophet. And brothers and sisters, this is still true today. How do you respond to the word of God? And this is especially true of those who reject his word in the flesh. The final and greatest prophet, Jesus, how do you respond to him? Are you trusting in him? Do not reject him. There is still time tonight. If you have not put your faith in him, there is time to have life in him and safety. And let him take the curse that you deserve. But reject God's word. Reject his son, Jesus. And the curse of God will fall upon you. And it will be far worse than what we read about in these verses. It'll be eternal. It'll be painful to body and soul forever. And so flee from that to Jesus and to the true life-giving word of God. Trust in the Lord. Trust his word. Trust his son. Humbly receive him and his word with wonder and have life and blessing and healing. People of God, God's word brings either blessing or curse, so do not reject it. Treasure it. Live by it. Receive it with joy and humility and faith. Jesus, God's word in the flesh, gives life or death, blessing or curse. Do not reject him. Believe in him who was cursed for sinners and have life and blessing forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are both sobering warnings, but life-giving truths as well. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for how you directed and used Elisha so long ago in what may have seemed like mundane days. Lord, we pray that you would awaken us to the power of your word and the pivotal nature of it. We pray that everyone here and so many more would receive it and have life and healing 
and joy. I pray that we would receive the Lord Jesus Christ and not reject him and mock him. Lord, how we praise you and thank you that he stood in our place. He took uh, the curse and the wrath that we deserve for our sins. And he did so willingly so that we might have life. Lord, fill us with amazement and wonder and love for him and faith in him. And to him be the glory, for we pray in his name. Amen.